The world lost a rock guitar legend this week, Eddie Van Halen, a band that sold 56 million records worldwide. Today, we're going to look at how does a band that consistently stays on the charts from 1978 to 1995, what can we learn from Eddie Van Halen? The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, this is where I help you plan, launch, and grow your podcast. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up at schoolofpodcasting.com. And if you're new to the show... One of my backgrounds is guitar. I have played the guitar more or less since I was about, what are you, in sixth grade? 11? 11-ish. And then really got into it when I was in uh, junior high. I tried to play when I was five and six, but I my hands were too small. So consequently, when the news came out that rock guitar god Eddie Van Halen had died, it kind of hit me right between the eyes. My previous guitar hero was a guy named Randy Rhodes, and uh, he had died in a plane crash, I think in 83. And so this was somebody that, uh, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about what we can learn as podcasters from Eddie Van Halen. So if you're thinking, wait, Dave's just going to talk about guitar for 20 minutes? No, 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 no. But you have to realize is I was 13 when that album, when their first album, uh, creatively named Van Halen 1, was released, or just Van Halen. And basically that band provided the soundtrack to my adolescent years. And like I said, it kind of hit me hard. And so... Here's some things I want to point out. And some of these I was like, wow. Van Halen took years to build their audience. So if you're a person that's like, hey, I've been doing this for 10 months and it's, it doesn't seem to be working. I'm not making millions of dollars. The band was formed in 1972. Now, that's a long time ago. I, I was like, holy cow. And I, I looked, and songs like Saturday in the Park by Chicago, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, was another one. I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers. This is the kind of music, Casey and the Sunshine Band. This is the stuff that was popular at the time. And if you're like, Dave, I don't know any of those songs. I'm I'm 18 years old. I'm 24. Just, they were not guitar-oriented hard rock. And so they had to be kind of themselves. They weren't like trying to do, you know, this other stuff that was on the radio. And consequently, they played clubs for years. Now, in 1976, that's four years later, they caught the attention of Gene Simmons. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, he is the bass player of Kiss, which was a huge band in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And Gene financed a demo tape and arranged for Van Halen to perform in front of Kiss's management. And here's the interesting thing. Van Halen, who went on to have multi-multi-platinum albums for decades, uh, was told by Kiss's management, you guys have no chance 
of making it. And consequently, the Kisses management wouldn't take them on. And Gene Simmons then said, you know what, guys? Because he kind of had them under contract. He said, nope, I'm ripping it up. You guys are free to do whatever you want. Sorry, I really thought, you know, I still think you guys have something. But uh, a year later, so so let's stop about that a second. So you've been gigging in a, a bar, different bars, for four years. You think you're getting your big break. Gene Simmons from Kiss is paying to have you record a demo tape, and he's going to get you in front of Kiss's management. Can you imagine the excitement? They're thinking, oh, this is it. And then they go, yeah, never mind. Why? Because they say you're never going to make it. <laughs> and then a year later, they were playing a club called the Starwood, which is kind of famous in Los Angeles. The A guy from Warner Brothers, Ted Templeman, saw them there and offered them a recording contract. So that'd be 1977. So for five years, they were able to just play clubs. They really weren't getting, again, because you got to remember, disco. Disco was big when they were trying to do that. So one of the things that we can learn from this is the fact that you, I always say, how do you grow your audience? You figure out who your audience is, you go to where they are and you, you make friends with them. That always helps. And then you let them know about your podcast. And so what they did in an interview, Eddie said they, they couldn't get a recording deal. And so what they did is they started throwing their own parties. They started throwing their own concerts. And he said, when the first album came out, he goes, they toured for 11 months straight to promote their first album. He said, including doing 23 shows in 25 days in just the UK. So that was just, he goes, and they did that for 11 months. And he said, when he got home, Warner Brothers alerted the band that they owed the record label $3 million Oh, and where's your next album? And he said, in the end, he goes, we just wouldn't take no for an answer when we're trying to grow our audience. He goes, we stuffed flyers in lockers of high schools because we were playing high schools. And he goes, look, if you liked Van Halen or not, you were at least going to know about the band. He says, we just went everywhere. We played everywhere. We made flyers. We just wanted everyone to know. Hey, here we are. And he goes, and slowly, notice the key word there, they build an audience of three to 5,000 people, and that's what attracted Warner Brother Records. So he said, we just humped it, I think is how he put it. He goes, we just wouldn't give up. So it took a while. Now, the interesting thing, I always say, if you are spending hours editing your podcast, Maybe you're not doing enough planning. I always uh, picture it like a seesaw. And that is if you do more planning, you have less editing. And if you do no editing or no planning, then you're going to have a lot of editing. And he said, so as they'd been playing clubs for years, the band was super well rehearsed and ready to go. And their first album, Van Halen, was recorded in three weeks with almost no overdubs. And if you fast forward to... Other, you know, albums like the Black Album by Metallica, that was like eight months. Def Leppard used to take almost a year in the studio. Van Halen 1 was done in three weeks, and two of those weeks were for, for vocals. Here's the other thing. So many podcasters think, oh, I have to get 
you know, I have to get an Electro Voice RE320. I have to get a Samson, uh, a Samson. Well, yeah, uh, uh, not a Samson, a Shure SM7B. You know, these four or $500 microphones. It's not the tech. I'm a big fan of the Audio-Technica ATR2100X. I like the Samson Q2U. And now with different gear coming out where you can kind of, you don't have to buy a microphone that's USB compatible. I'm a big fan of the Shure SM58. That is a, a microphone that you could literally hammer a nail in and it would still work. And it's used by every single musician on the planet. So, uh, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. I'm going to be doing an episode on different technology specifically made for podcasters. And what's great is some of this has already been released and they're getting updates. And speaking of that, I have in my hands a Zoom uh, P8, the PodTrack P8. That is the direct competitor to the Rodecaster Pro. And I'll be doing that in a review in the future. But to go back, you don't need to spend a ton of cash. I've said this before. And Here's the interesting thing. Eddie was a guy that was creative, and he never, ever stopped trying to chase different noises, different sounds, and things like that. And I'm going to give you a really short guitar history lesson. There are basically two types of guitars back then that people were using on a regular basis. One is called a Stratocaster, and it kind of has a thin sound, and it's used by blues players uh, maybe country players, and it had this thing called a whammy bar, which makes things go, right? You could do that. Jimi Hendrix was big on that. Uh, the other guitar kind of guitar is a Les Paul. It's much thicker, and it gives a super chunkier sound. So think something like, uh, you know, Metallica. And so what Eddie did is he he was like, look, I like the sound of that guitar, but I like the whammy bar. And he basically took the guts of the one guitar that gave you the thicker sound and put it into the body of a Stratocaster that everyone affectionately referred to as the Frankencaster. Uh, (laughs) And he made the guitar himself using a body that cost $50 and a neck that cost 80. So he put out a whole $130 to build his guitar and he ended up, with a thicker, chunkier guitar tone that had a whammy bar. Now, the other reason he did this is because Eddie was born in Holland. He was born in Holland. They came to the United States when he was a young boy, and his parents had $50 and a piano. That was it. And so Eddie said he was basically poor growing up. And so you have to innovate when you don't have money. So what's interesting is that guitar cost $130 to make. And now they have a replica of it that goes for thousands of dollars. He said, I was poor. And he said, instead of having to buy all these external things that you can add to a guitar to have it make weird noises. He said, I had to figure out how to make all those noises with just my fingers and the guitar. So again, sometimes your circumstances may not be great, but those circumstances lead you to do things differently. Uh, uh, let's take a tangent. Let's, I'll take guitars for 200, Alex. Uh, the lead guitar player of Black Sabbath, his name is Tony Iommi, and he worked in a factory to make a long story short, he cut off the end of his finger. And so what he did is he made this little 
for lack of like a finger boot to put on the end of his finger so he could play the guitar because you can't put a callus on something that doesn't exist. And he couldn't really stretch the strings because of his finger. So he tuned his guitar lower, which lessened the tension and made the guitar easier to play. And because he tuned the guitar lower, it kind of gave his guitar this ominous sound and consequently that's why black sabbath sounds like black sabbath because the guy lost a tip of his finger the more you know so again you might be saying oh but i don't have this i don't have that i need to do this to start my podcast in some cases you might come up with something completely different because you have different circumstances the other thing that eddie did is he learned through trial and error He said in the process of creating his own guitar, he said, I ruined a bunch of stuff. He says, but the bottom line is I never stopped experimenting. Here's some examples. There's a song on the album Diver Down called Intruder, and you hear all these weird noises. I would play them now, but it's that whole don't want to get sued thing. But basically, Eddie makes this weird noise. Sounds kind of like an elephant heat. Uh, And uh, it's Eddie sliding a Schlitz can up and down the strings. Uh, In the song Pound Cake, Eddie uses an electric drill. So if you're wondering what's making that weird, that's an electric drill. Uh, The bizarre noise at the beginning of the song, Atomic Punk. You listen to this, you're like, wait, that's a guitar? And all it is is taking the side of your, you know, if you look at your hand, the, the fat part of your hand, not your thumb, the other side, he was just taking that and rubbing it on his strings, which makes this weird kind of noise. And people are like, how is he doing that? So it's in any ran it through a bunch of pedals. Uh, he was always looking for ways to make different noises like an elephant. I'll have a link out in the show notes again. If you go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 744, you'll see a link to a video where he, he actually makes his guitar sound like an elephant. And if you've ever heard the song Panama in the middle where he's talking about reach down between my legs and ease the seat back, and you hear this weird whoosh noise, that uh, whoosh noise is Eddie's Lamborghini. So he loved to experiment. And his whole thing was, if it didn't work, it was just one step closer to finding something else. But he had an endless, and I mean endless curiosity, and was constantly experimenting. He eventually would form a company that makes gear, and even that gear, every year he would come out and say, "Ah, I'm I'm tweaking things, because that's what I do. Here's one that really blew me away. You're like, oh, this guy was a master musician. How? I'll never be as good as he is. Guess what? Edward Van Halen never learned how to read music. You know who else doesn't read music? Paul McCartney. Yeah, he can kind of. It's like me. I can kind of read music, kind of like I kind of can run a four-minute mile. Like I know to put one foot in front of the other. I just don't do it very well. But uh, he said he would actually fake his way through piano classes. He would watch his teacher's fingers and then play what he just saw. He basically would memorize it. Uh, His parents forced him to play the piano, and he actually won contests between the ages of 9 and 11. But after he saw the Beatles and the Dave Clark Five, to me, I went, the Dave Clark Five? He picked up the guitar, but uh, he never learned guitar by lessons, you know, kind of by the book. And he thinks that by not learning, you know, your typical 
guitar, you know, you, you get your teacher who teaches you, here's a book and that whole nine yards. He did it. He said, instead of going by the book, I wrote my own book. And he said, I don't believe I would play the way I play if I'd gone through traditional studies. So I say that because as much as I sit here and go, here are podcasting best practices. If you're like, I can't do that. You may end up doing something completely unique. In fact, he's actually got three patents. I was like, what? Yep. He's an inventor. And there's a, a one patent for a device that you can kind of hold your guitar on its back so you can tap with both hands. And, you know, in fact, he actually invented, well, he didn't invent it. In fact, he said it wasn't he that he wasn't the first person to do this, but he really was the person known for what's called tapping. And basically what this means is you play the guitar with both hands. Now, by that, I don't mean you hold a pick in one and you play with the other. No, he's actually touching the fretboard with both hands. It's called tapping. And uh, what was interesting about this in terms of inventions, because nobody could figure out how to put what he was playing in typical musical notation, they invented what's called guitar tablature because people couldn't figure out how to write down what he was doing. And I thought that was interesting. He also, if you've ever wondered how Van Halen got their sound, according to Eddie, drummer Alex Van Halen, which is his brother, that guy preferred straight rock. Eddie, who really doesn't listen to the radio and hasn't since, he said, maybe 1980, if that, he goes, he liked progressive rock. And David Lee Roth at the time liked disco. And he said, this is kind of like, your ingredients in a soup. And he said, and that's how they got their sound. That's how you end up with a hard driving beat that kind of has pop sensibilities. And in some cases is almost danceable. That was the soup. And so if you're looking to get a co-host and you want somebody who thinks just like you, that may end up creating a really boring soup because if it's basically your thoughts that that may not be great. I like, there's a guy named Gary Sharon. He was the third singer of Van Halen. He came from a band called Extreme, which I really, really like. And he joined Van Halen and recorded Van Halen 3. Now, on that album, the bassist of Van Halen, his name is Michael Anthony, has said that basically Eddie told him exactly what to play and how to play it. In other words... It might as well have been Eddie. In fact, except for three songs, the bass on that album is Eddie. And Gary stated that Eddie was actually playing bass and drums on some of those songs, which kind of made it, you guessed it, an Eddie Van Halen solo album. And the thing I would like to point out here, this was the first album that did not go platinum. Now, it did achieve gold status, but it was the first album that didn't go platinum. And basically... Everybody says, wow, that album was bad. Uh, one point here I do want to point out here is that that album did come out in 1998, and uh, uh, Eddie did not get sober until 2008. So there's a chance that Eddie was making the uh, the best decisions at, at that time. One thing that we can learn from Eddie here is embrace who you are. He said when they were in the clubs, he said to get a gig at a club, you have to play cover songs. So you have to play whatever on the radio. 
And as Eddie put it, he goes, no matter how hard I tried, I could not play what was on the record. He said, I could only be me. So consequently, when you hear a Van Halen record, it sounds like a Van Halen record. So if you're trying to be like some other podcaster, maybe you hear someone, you're like, oh, someday I'm going to be just like that guy. I'm going to do exactly what she's doing. And it's just not going to work. You need to be you. The other thing, like I said, how did they grow their audience? By going to where they are and making sure people knew they were like, hey, here's my band. Please come here. Things like that. The other thing that I was like, of course he was. He was very nervous about going on stage. Eddie and Alex both played with their dad, who was a musician as well. And in the early days, Eddie asked his dad, how do you deal with stage fright? Because Eddie is a very, he's again, kind of an introvert. And his father, his answer to how do you deal with stage fright was to hand his 12-year-old son uh, alcohol and cigarettes. And then his dad would later die from alcohol-related issues, which is one of the things that inspired Eddie to quit drinking. But uh, after Eddie got sober, his son was in the band, Wolfgang, and Eddie said, uh, how can I, he said it was interesting because his son was out on stage, and here again, this is Eddie as an adult, was still nervous about going on stage. This is a guy that's one like, best guitar player from Guitar Player Magazine multiple, multiple, multiple years in a row. I mean, he's heralded by everyone. He's an influencer and he's afraid to go on stage. And he said, look, if my 16-year-old son could be out there kicking butt, then I guess I got to get out there. The other thing I think we can learn from Eddie Van Halen is you don't have to release everything. Look, there's nothing you can do. The first episode you put out is not going to be as good as your 10th. That's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean the first thing you record is the first thing you should release. I always recommend if you can get feedback from somebody not named mom, that's good. But keep in mind, it may take a couple recordings to get eh, a little more comfortable behind the mic. And Eddie built a studio at his house. And he was always recording, always experimenting. But if you think about it, They went 14 years, one more time, 14 years without any new music from Eddie Van Halen. So you don't have to release everything you record. I'm kind of hoping now that we'll actually get some of that music. But for whatever reason, again, a guy that wasn't super confident, maybe I'm not sure what was going on, but. None of that information, none of that content was released. The other one, when I was really thinking about Van Halen, what came to my mind is Van Halen was about fun. Dance the night away would be one, you know, um, bottoms up. Uh, It was all about, you know, we are the party band and we are the soundtrack to your party. And if you see a video of Annie Van Halen playing a guitar, you're going to see one thing that never changes. It doesn't matter if you see an, a, a video from 1980, a video from 1990, something from his last tour. When Eddie Van Halen was playing the guitar, he smiled. Now, why? 
Well, like I said, he came to this country incredibly poor, and he said he didn't even speak the language. He got bullied in high school, he said, because I was considered a minority. And now he's playing to thousands of people on stage. I'd smile too. But the other thing is Eddie Van Halen really loves the guitar. He loves what he's doing. And don't be afraid to let your smile come through the microphone. The other thing here, I have a couple things that we can learn that weren't great. I just mentioned that they went 14 years without an album. And there wasn't a whole lot of communication during that part. In fact, Eddie Van Halen wasn't on social media. Now, here's my thought on this. They did, remember, from 1972 to about 19, I don't know, 85 maybe, at least probably more, they were touring nonstop, producing albums, things like that. And I think Eddie just wanted to take a break. And when he took a break, he took a long break. The interesting thing is, though, I always say communication is the lubrication of your podcast, of your business. Keeping your audience in the loop is never a bad idea. And as I record this right now, five days after he uh, died, the website Van-Halen doesn't even have anything about his death. It actually has a video of one of the minions playing guitar. I, I, to me, I'm like, what? And what this does is I always say you should have a website. That is the heart and soul of your podcast. And then things like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and whatever else you're on, TikTok, those should be satellite kind of offices. But everybody should know to go to your main website. And they just didn't. Their communication was awful. In fact, bassist Michael Anthony was replaced. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And he found out, not from Eddie in a phone call, he found out via the internet. And so for years, his audience had no idea what was up. It's kind of weird that way. He, And in my opinion, Van Halen could have boosted their influence, even though they already had, you know, buckets of it, by keeping their audience in the loop. And I, I was thinking about this, like, why why was this? I think Eddie's an introvert. I, I think right now his wife is handling their Twitter. And in a nutshell, I think Eddie just wanted to make music. And upon his cancer diagnosis, which was about 10 years ago, uh, he retreated even further. Now, the other one I thought about this is uh, there are a couple of things here, especially revolving the bass player, Michael Anthony. And I always say money changes everything. It just does. So if you're going to do a podcast with a co-host before there is any money to argue over, that's when you need to sit down and go, who owns the name of the show? What will get somebody fired? Have that discussion because once money comes in, it changes everything. And so there's a book called Running with the Devil, which is the name of a, a song by Van Halen. Uh, the author says that the Van Halen brothers, Eddie and Alex, along with David Lee Roth, gave Michael Anthony an ultimatum uh, right around the time of the 1984 album, which is the one that had Jump. You've probably heard that song. Um, and they didn't believe Michael's contributions to the band 
entitled him to an uh, an equal one fourth split from 1978 to you know 1984. It didn't matter who wrote the song; everybody got 25 percent of the royalties. And they drew up a contract that stipulated that he would no longer share in any royalties from Van Halen recordings from the 1984 album on, and it also limited what he would receive from the previous recordings, touring, and merchandise sales as well. In effect, while Michael would technically still be in the band, he would essentially become a paid employee from that point. And so here's the thing I want to talk about. This is where you want to make sure that everything you do is in alignment with your brand. I'll give you an example. Pat Flynn, great guy, friend of mine, smart passive income, known as this, he just, he talks about his family all the time. He's a family-friendly podcaster. And for a while at PodFest, they were roasting podcasters. And if you've never been to a roast, roasts are not family-friendly. In fact, uh, they roasted me one year on my birthday, and there was a big disclaimer at the beginning. They're like, look, if you want things to be politically correct, if you're offended by any of the seven dirty words, you need to leave now. Nice guy. And Pat said, no, because nothing, he's not offended by any of that kind of talk, but it doesn't fit his brand. And Van Halen's brand was these are four people that are like brothers. You know, you have two that actually are brothers, but the other people and we're fun and we're having a party and come join us and this and that. In fact, when Sammy Hagar was in the band, I watched a video where they interviewed Eddie and Alex, who are brothers, and they interviewed Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony. And the whole thing was, yeah, which it's all about relationships. We love each other. And then we go in and make music. And this went completely against that brand. This is like, hey, see that guy over there that's been with us since 1972? We're going to screw him out of royalties. And the fan base did not like that. So keep in mind that, you know, it's it's the Internet age and things are going to come out that may not, you know, kind of paint you in a great picture. Now, I do give him credit for this. I wasn't happy about it, but I understand it. In 2006, he actually, Eddie Van Halen, replaced Michael Anthony, the original bass player. Well, technically, Michael Anthony was the second bass player, but we're not going to get into that. But Michael Anthony, he was replaced by his son, Wolfgang Van Halen. And Eddie knew this was not a popular choice, but this is one thing we can learn from Eddie Van Halen. He put his family first. I mean, what father wouldn't want to play with his son. I just disagree on how he did this because as I mentioned, Michael Anthony found out via the internet that he was out of the band. So Eddie really, really sucked when it came to communication. Couple more things we can learn from Eddie Van Halen. And that is try to create content that you can't get any place else. And that it inspires your audience to tell friends. So I'm 13 years old. I get a phone call from my best friend, Scott, and he says, hey, man, Al School just called me and said, we have to come down to his house. Like, we have to come down to his house, and we need to come down now. And so Al lived about three blocks. We walked down to his house. He has one of those little stereos where you flip the the lid 
<laughs> oh, that's so sad to think about the fidelity that we're listening is to. And he put on a song called Eruption, which is a guitar solo by Eddie Van Halen. And this has only happened to me twice. And that is, I sat there, listened to it, and my brain, you know how your brain processes like eight, eight bazillion thoughts per second or whatever it is. You know, your brain's a super duper jumbo computer. And my brain just kept coming up with, how is he doing that? And my brain would go, let me check. And it would get through every inch of my brain and go, I have no idea. I remember at one point we were thinking maybe he had just really, really big hands. Maybe that's how we just had no idea. And it would get done and we'd pick up the needle. Yep, that's how old I am. And we'd put it back and we'd listen again. And like, maybe he's, nope, I, hmm, how, I, ooh. it was something you couldn't get anyplace else. And what did Al School do? He told his friends. Now, the last lesson I think that is appropriate for this is when people saw Eddie Van Halen and they figured out what he was doing, they're like, oh, that's not that hard. I'm going to do what Eddie did. And those are people like, yeah, I don't remember their name either. The guitar player from Autograph. But here's the thing. When you hear that, instead of looking at that person and going, wow, that's amazing. We looked at those guys and went, wow, you're ripping off Eddie. And you know what? You're not as good as Eddie because it comes to Eddie naturally. And so when you see somebody, you can be inspired by them. But if you try to do exactly what they're doing, it's not going to work. A copy is never as good as the original. It's close in some cases, especially if you can't get that information anymore. I'll be interested to see if somebody now becomes the new Van Halen and just takes over his style. But in general, you're not going to have huge success because I can't think of anybody off the top of my head right now that just blatantly ripped off his style. And Eddie made a joke about this. He said, it's kind of like somebody coming over, stealing your car, taking it away, and then driving back into your driveway the next day and go, hey, check out my new car. But he did say it was, he said it used to make him mad. And his dad told him that, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, is the best form of flattery. Uh, ripping people off. No, that's not it. Copycatting. Nope, that's not it either. I'm looking for that word. Imitation. Thank you very much. Is the sincerest form of flattery. And uh, he kind of got over that. So I wanted to talk about Eddie today. I want to give you some insights into podcasting. Keep in mind, again, it took years to build their audience. You don't need a ton of cash to get started, get comfortable experimenting and realize you're going to ruin some things and not everything is going to work. Not everybody's going to like you. So go directly to your people and give them something that inspires them to tell their friend, have fun while you're doing it and take steps now to handle any business before you have any. Again, you don't have to make money with your podcast. And while you can be inspired by others, don't directly rip off their content or their style. Do what Eddie did, and that is he's like, look, I can only be me. And you'll attract people who like that stuff. And you might be thinking, you know, this cool, Dave, thanks for the podcast tips, but things have changed in podcasting since the early days. You know, now we have these big companies, we have these big stars getting into podcasting, things of that nature. Things have changed. 
And so I'm going to let Eddie answer this last question. Somebody said, hey, what would you do differently if you were a 20-year-old kid getting in the music business today? Because, hey, wow, the music industry has changed so much in the same way that people are like saying, hey, podcasting has changed a lot. And here's what Eddie had to say. You know, it is, but it isn't. Um, like I've said earlier, nobody wanted anything to do with Van Halen. Yeah, I mean, for a good seven years, we knocked on everybody's door. We made demo tapes, uh, and everybody just said no. So what we did was we started playing backyard parties and taking it straight to the people. You know, like I told you, we stuffed lockers full. Of, you know, we go to the Postal Instant Press, put a picture on it, and and uh, where the gig is and how many kegs of beer there will be that night. And, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of thing. And we just humped it and humped it and humped it uh, until people came. Uh, and I don't see why that wouldn't work today. You know, we brought it straight to the people uh, playing live. Um, you know, whether, whether there's Pro Tools and, and, and uh, you know, whatever music is out there, there's always room for more. I want to give a big shout out to Letitia Evans. She was the very first person to give me. Well, right now I can say this. Hey, I've got nothing but five-star reviews on my book, Profit From Your Podcast. Of course, I only have one review. It's from Letitia. She gave me five stars. It says Dave is one of the best in the podcasting space. This book does a great job of sharing the pieces that need to come together for podcasters to serve their listeners well without shortchanging their livelihoods. Any podcaster that wants to start right and continue will benefit from this book. What's the book? Profit from Your Podcast. Find it at ProfitFromYourPodcast.com. And if you go, Dave, I don't even have a podcast yet. Well, then go out to SchoolOfPodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R when you sign up to save 20% on either a monthly or yearly subscription. Everything you need is out there, schoolofpodcasting.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Like I said, in the future, I've got an interview, which is basically a really long because of my podcast story from Rick Coast, and I'll be doing an episode on, there's a ton of technology that's coming into the space specifically designed for podcasters. And meanwhile, there were things that have already been released that keep getting updates. So we're going to do a show about the technology in podcasting and how you use it, why you use it, when you use it, things of that nature. If you subscribe, which I have a button out at the school of podcasting.com, you'll never miss an episode. Again, everything is out there. School of podcasting.com until next week. Take care. God bless. Class is dismissed. And they were offered a, a recording contract. So that was 1997. 1997. Okay, let's go dyslexic. 1979. 70s. Oh, geez. Oh, what? Huh? I don't know what year it is. If you like what you hear, then go tell someone.